Old powers waken, shadows stir, an age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us, an age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with another episode of the Obsidian Nights podcast, where we go through A Song of Ice and Fire chapter by chapter. Um, And we are almost finished with the Game of Thrones. And today's special guest is Aura. You guys probably already know her, but Aura, you want to let the people know who you are and where they can find you? Yes, my name is Ara, aka Ait Zebra. You can find me on YouTube at Ait Zebra, Twitter, Instagram, kind of anywhere. And you can also catch me Sundays with the Direwolf City Girls. And that's every Sunday at 8.30. And we also have a new project on the way, which is probably out by the time you're listening to it, which is Preposterous AF, where we go over unsolved unanswered unexplained and truly just crazy shit so yeah check that out it, it do be crazy <laughs> it do be preposterous <laughs> oh my god it's <laughs> insane but you'll enjoy it <laughs> yeah you will so today we are doing the last aria chapter of a game of thrones and we are in king's landing and the chapter starts out like this all right Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with the juice to get you through the long night. And on today's episode of the Obsidian Nights podcast, where we go through A Song of Ice and Fire, chapter by chapter. Today, we are doing Daenerys 9 of A Game of Thrones. And I am joined by special guest, Arlene. Arlene, would you like to tell the people who you are and where they can find you? Hey, everybody. My name is Arlene. I am obsessed with all things Game of Thrones and Dune and fantasy and smart shows and smart books like this. So (laughs) I'm an actor, I'm a writer, and hopefully we will have some really interesting like fantasy stuff coming out for you guys. So yeah. Love it. So we're in Daenerys 9. So called Drogo has the, the previous Daenerys chapter called Drogo had gotten, fell, he had fallen ill, fallen off his horse, and Daenerys had gave uh, Mary Mazdor permission to do blood magic on him to save his life. So the um, also in the process, Daenerys went into labor. So uh, the chapter starts off and it says, wings, wings shadowed her fever dreams. You don't want to wait, wait, excuse me wings shadowed her fever dreams you don't want to wake the dragon do you she was walking down a long hall beneath high stone arches she could not look behind her must not look behind her there was a door ahead of her tiny with distance but even from afar she saw that it was painted red she walked faster and her bare feet left bloody footprints on the stone you don't want to wake the dragon do you She saw sunlight on the Dothraki Sea, the living plain, rich with the smells of earth and death. Wind stirred the the grasses and they ripped like water, 
Drogo held her in strong arms and his hand stroked her sex and opened her and woke that sweet wetness that was his alone. And the stars smiled down on them. Stars in a daylight sky? Home, she whispered as he entered her and filled her with his seed. But suddenly the stars were gone and across the sky swept the great wings and the world took flame. So before I keep reading the dream, do we want to dissect that first part? <laughs> there's so much in just that little first part, you know, there's so much, you know, oh my gosh. It definitely. Okay, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you start first because I am, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> it definitely foreshadows the death of Brago. Yes. Because yes. we basically see her getting pregnant and then we see that when she's pregnant, she sees these stars in the sky and then suddenly the stars are gone and then it's a dragon there where the stars once were and the world took flame. Right. I feel like it definitely prophesizes the birth of dragons because like you said, I mean, she calls them, it's they're the sun and stars and the stars are in the daylight sky, but suddenly the stars were gone. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of letting you know that Drogo is not making it out of this alone. And all that is going to be left is the dragon. Yep. And I wonder if she's actually seeing a daylight sky or if she's seeing dragon flame rip through mm-hmm. the sky where it it's so bright that it looks daylight. Like it's a, a flame on a night sky, but because of the dragon flame, it looks daylight it's so bright right and it's interesting that it starts out with such a delicate and intimate moment with her and Drogo yes you know and it's like all of those things that safety was ripped away from her yeah that that feeling of home so like she first had Mm -hmm. that home feeling with the house with the red door But now it's like, okay, my home was the Dothraki. My home was Drogo. My home was my son. And now that's gone too. Right. So it's like that thing that dragons don't plant trees. (laughs) Like it's like that she doesn't have a home. Right. And just the fact that, you know, the quote, you don't want to wake the dragon, do you? Is one Mm -hmm. of the first things we see is like letting her know that in order for the dragon to be born, all those things have to be burned away because it's no longer about the family. It's no longer about the home and the security. Dragons don't have that. And you're going to have to let this all go. And so I think in her soul, when she's, you know, having this dream, it's trying to tell her that this, these things that matter to you can't matter to the dragon. Exactly. And, and they like, there's another dragon dream that she has earlier where it's just her and Drogon in the dream. And he like scorches her with a fi- with the fire and like just burns everything away from her, like everything away, all her clothes, her pain, everything is scorched in the dragon fire. It's like, and it's very metaphorical as like, you need to be stripped bare to have me. That's what, yeah. the dra- that's what Drogon's telling her in that dream. Yes. Like you can't hold on to all of these things and hold on to me at the same time. It's not going to work. And in order for you to embrace the dragon, you have to embrace the dragon and you have to let everything else fall away from you. 
Yes. And that's why, like, if you look forward and where Danny's story might be going, her story might actually be a very sad, like she might actually have a very sad ending because the two worlds that she wants to bring together don't fit together. And in order to bring them together, she would have to basically go against everything she believes in to, to, to forge these worlds together. So if she wants to be queen of Westeros, she if she wants to be queen of like like we see an example in marine mm-hmm. where she's she basically has to politic in marine with her hands tied behind her back she right. she has to try to assimilate to the marinese culture and she has to try to not use her dragons as intimidation or to just burn people alive because i mean that's what she could do like Technically, right. if she wanted to bend Marine to her will, she could. Right. Which brings up the question, though. Well, two questions. Do you think she actually wants to be the Queen of Westeros? I don't. I do and I don't. I think that it's never, it never was her dream. Like, her dream in the beginning of Game of Thrones has always been... I want to go home. I want the house with the red door. Like she's, she, she's never had that. Like she's never had a mother. She's never felt safe. Mm-hmm. So when she does feel safe, like when she sees other people, she can emphasize with them because she's felt the same way. Like when she sees slaves that don't have a home or that aren't being protected, she feels like she needs to be that protector. Like she needs to do this for these people because she doesn't really gain anything from protecting the slaves and marine no like she definitely gained the unsullied when she like did what she did in astapor mm-hmm. but staying in marine is completely against it's completely against like if she really just only gives a fuck about the throne her staying in marine is completely goes against that right Right. And I just, I don't think it's what she really wants. I think it, it's what she feels like she needs or she has to have, or she yeah. has to do more so. I think she ha- feels like she has to do it. Like she, she's required to do this, but I don't feel like she wants it. I do feel like she would want to be that regular everyday peasant in a farmhouse with Drogo and her baby and some sheep and some, you know, like, I feel that's who she actually is, you know, and, but she's also has this dragon in her and trying to reconcile these two sides of her life and her nature are just extremely difficult for her. And I can see why there's just this constant, you know, there's almost a fear. I think she feels the dragon in her and I think she may have always had, but it wasn't what she wanted. No, it's not. It's not what she wanted. She says it in um, an early Game of Thrones chapter. Or I think it's Game of Thrones. Like this was Viserys's dream. Like this, this wasn't mine. Like I just want to be safe. I just want the house with the red door. And the house with the red door is the only time that she felt safe. I feel like mm-hmm. that's why they show her the house with the red door in um in the house of the undying like she gets that vision of her bed with all the animal carvings on it and and sir willem dairy because the deep down they know that's what she what she wants so they try to tempt her with that right but at the end of the day like danny just wants to be safe 
And she feels that the only way to be safe and, and, and is to go home because home to her is Dragonstone. It is King's Landing, even though she's never been there. Like that's her ancestral home. That's the castle the dragons built mm-hmm. and that it belongs to her. And I feel like she feels that that's where she, what she needs to do. I feel like in season seven, when Danny arrived to Dragonstone when, in season seven of Game of Thrones, Mm-hmm. Um, the show we don't like to talk about, <laughs> that part. <laughs> right? I feel like that when she got there, everything it took for her to get there and all of that. And then she was like, you know, this doesn't really feel like home. I feel like there's going to be that, that I feel like that's something they got from George. I do too. I do too, because it made perfect sense. Everything was built up in her mind everything the way it looked the way it felt the way it smelled was built up in her mind you know this is a place of safety this is a place of power this is ours we created it this is a place that I can identify because she can't go back to the red door you know the house of the red door she can't go back to the Dothraki sea she can't do any of those things but this this is something that you know is uniquely specific to her and her family Mm-hmm. the house with the red door did not belong to them no the rocky sea wasn't hers it was Drogo's. yep this house is hers this was built by her family her blood this is like the only thing that was created for her and her people in mind mm-hmm. and not her being at the mercy of any anything or anyone else yeah. and when she gets there it's cold. Yeah. It's it's not, it's it's not what she thought it was. Right. And I think what, what I, what I felt watching that season and watching her in Dragonstone was that she started to realize that home is her. Yes. And it's the people that she loves and the people that she's super close to because all this fighting, all this to get here and it's still cold. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like she had, she's going to have this, this, uh, motto basically that like, there's no one to keep me safe. I have no home, but the people that follow me, I'll keep them safe and they'll have a home. They'll never have to feel like I felt. Cause that's like, she's never had anybody that does the things that she does for other people. She's never had anybody that does that for her. Right. So that, that's, which also makes me think of how you mentioned Viserys, like Viserys is awful. I don't give him any passes on that. (laughs) Like he was also a very young child who was terrified and who could barely protect his little sister, but knew that he had to like what, I mean, I've worked with kids. I have worked with some, you know, I've worked in juvenile justice system with kids and teenagers and I don't, I've seen them try to take care of siblings. I've seen them try to take care of life. And I mean, what was Viserys supposed to do? Yeah. And he was like half crazy anyway. He was half crazy. He was half crazy <laughs> on top of that. <laughs> yeah. Like... You know, but like, to a certain degree, I wonder how much of it was just crazy and how much of it was things that he had been taught because. And the trauma. Like, 
Right. The trauma. You know, he was a child too who had no one to protect him, you know, and lost everyone who was supposed to protect him. And, you know, growing up in that way, like you don't really know how to do any of that. And he did. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. He did say that um, when he comes to her, like in that dream, when she's on like that berry quest in, um, in the last chapter, in her last chapter of A Dance with Dragons, when he comes to her in like this vision, he says like, I protected you. I sold our mother's crown to feed you. Like I did this and I did that. We were supposed to have children with purple eyes. And she's like, you betrayed me. Like you betrayed me. And he says, no, you were the betrayer. Like basically Mm -hmm. saying you, like you didn't even mourn me when I died, but I do think she mourned him as much as she should. Cause he did abuse her. But I do have, like, I do get what you're saying. Like, yeah, he was a child too. And he did what he had to do to protect her. And I wonder how much of that drove him crazy. Right, right. And I mean, and you, you know, you do know, we know, we have the luxury of knowing that he didn't, that, you know, um, Robert didn't have all these people chasing him. Mm -hmm. I like he we have that we have the information that that wasn't the case. They didn't, you know, and who's to say that there weren't other people who were after them. Yeah. You and know, then- we don't know. We don't know where that power, if, if it was even paranoia, we don't know that. Well, there were probably more people in their lives, like Illyrio, like Illyrio tells Viserys, mm-hmm. people are sewing uh, dragon banners and waiting for the day for the true king to return and we know that that's a lie so i'm pretty sure that a lot of people that viserys has interacted with has pumped him up and tried to flatter him in the same way like and i would say saying that robert has assassins coming to kill you is probably a form of flattery to viserys right i mean because you're thinking like you feel so insignificant in this world because you're trying to like find somewhere to be and find somewhere to be safe. But I am, my life is so important to this one king that he is going to send people across the world to come find me because he understands my importance, my bloodline. I can see how that would be effective. (laughs) Yes, yes. To someone who feels very, who may feel very insignificant. Yes. Um, the, so the line in the dream that keeps appearing is don't want to wake the dragon, do you? Which is the line from Viserys. And the next part of this uh, dream, it says, Sir Jorah's face was drawn and sorrowful. Sir Jorah's face was drawn and sorrowful. Rhaegar was the last dragon, he told her. He, wa- he warmed translucent hands over a glowing brazier where stone eggs smoldered red as coals. One moment he was there, and the next he was fading, his flesh colorless, less substantial than the wind. The last dragon, he whispered, thin as a wisp and was gone. She felt the dark behind her, and the red door seemed further away than ever. Don't want to wake the dragon, do you? Um. So I think this is low-key foreshadowing that Sir Jorah might turn into a, a, a white. Like, you the, know, I think, yeah. 
the um his flesh being colorless and less substantial than the wind him fading his hand being translucent he's definitely appearing as a ghost even though he's very much alive but when he dies like she feels like the dark behind her and the dark always makes me think north long night and she says the red door seemed further away than ever what well the furthest away from the red door if the red door we know the red door is in bra well i think it's in bravos we don't know <laughs> where it's at <laughs> but what's going to be the red door for danny is going to be the red keep in mm-hmm. king's landing like that's where her new home is going to be and the furthest thing from king's landing is beyond the wall <laughs> in the north so i think that there may be some foreshadowing there about possibly jorah being a white yeah i think it's definitely foreshadowing at the very least that he's not long for this Mm-mm. he's not when she when she is fully embraced the dragon he won't be there no i don't think you know so. i think it's very it's very much saying that you know when he's saying when he's saying this just his colorness and he's fading less substantial than the wind and of course when you hear wind of course you think about you know the north the north um, right so i and, just, i actually feel like he would die with the in the long night because the wind is coming in you know and he's fading away with the wind and yeah. in comes the dark yeah and the words that he says to her is Rhaegar was the last dragon and Rhaegar's son happens to be at the wall so it's like um, I see what you're doing George yeah George, oh George is clever he's so clever. Uh, he's so good <laughs> so the dream goes on and it says don't want to wake the dragon do you Viserys stood before her screaming the dragon does not beg slut you do not command the dragon. I am the dragon and I will be crowned. The molten gold trickled down his face like wax, burning deep channels in his flesh. I am the dragon and I will be crowned, he shrieked. And his fingers snapped like snakes, biting at her nipples, pinching, twisting, even as his eyes burst and ran like jelly down, seared and blackened cheeks. Good God. <laughs> That's visceral. Like, it's very visceral. You know? They have these moments in these books where you're, it's very clear that George was a horror writer. And that's one of them. Yes, that is one of them. So he goes on and it says, don't want to wake the dragon. And now it says the red door was so far ahead of her and she could feel the icy breath behind sweeping up on her. If it caught her, she would die a death that was more than death. Howling forever alone in the darkness, she began to run. Right? The (laughs) icy breath behind sweeping up on her. And she would die a death that was more than death. Howling forever alone in the darkness. That sounds like White Walker White kind of thing. Mm-hmm. that sounds yes. like some very the others like that icy breath the um i think the great other is described melisandre describes him as the icy breath of death yes. um the darkness all of that but howling forever alone in the dark um reminds me of like a, a white how they're mm-hmm. like they're dead 
but they're not dead. So it's a death worse than death. It's it's more than death. Yeah. So I'm thinking that basically these dreams that she's getting is somebody that somebody is sending these dreams or she's getting these dreams from like a, a, a force much bigger than any I don't, I don't want like the gods of Westeros. She's getting mm-hmm. these dreams. Like basically like, we need you to do this because if you don't do this, this darkness, this ice, these ice, the, this is the song of ice and fire. These ice beings are going to kill everyone. We need your right. dragons. We need you. Right. And I think it's so interesting that this dream starts off, like you said, with all the things that are being stripped away from her mm-hmm. in order for the dragon to be born you know, this is what you need to lose and you need to let go for the dragon to be born because the dichotomy of the fire and the ice, yes. the ice is coming. The ice you is know, coming. It's like the ice is coming, you know, and yes. it's going to, the, 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 um, the winds of death are upon you mm-hmm. if you don't embrace the dragon. Because even, you know, you can look at even the idea of Jorah saying, well, Rhaegar was the last dragon and the dream is saying he's not the last dragon he's you not are. you are yep. you know yes and if you don't accept that you are the last dragon then this is what's going to happen the icy winds will bring a death worse than death yep george is not george is a beast <laughs> he's a beast you know like, but we should be friends <laughs> this is one of my favorite danny chapters because because of all the symbolism in her dreams in it um so she says don't want to wake the dragon she could feel the heat inside her a terrible burning in her womb her son was tall and proud with drogo's copper skin and her own silver gold hair violet eyes shaped like almonds and he smiled for her and began to lift his hand toward hers but when he opened his mouth the fire poured out she saw his heart burning through his chest and in an instant he was gone consumed like a moth by a candle turned to ash she wept for her child the promise of a sweet mouth on her breast but her tears turned to steam as they touched her skin want to wake the dragon Ghosts lined the hallway, dressed in the faded raiment of kings. In their hands were swords of pale fire. They had hair of silver and hair of gold and hair of platinum white. And their eyes were opal and amethyst, tourmaline and jade. Faster, they cried. Faster, faster. She raced, her feet, she raced, her feet melting the stone wherever they touched. Faster, The ghost cried as one, and she screamed and threw herself forward. A great knife of pain ripped down her back, and she felt her skin tear open and smelled the stench of burning blood and saw the shadow of wings, and Daenerys Targaryen flew. Wake the dragon. So, (laughs) as uh, ice and fire, as she's walking faster towards becoming a dragon... It says the stones, her feet melting the stone wherever they touched. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking the stone that she's walking on is made of ice. Wow. I hadn't thought about that one yet. That had not occurred to me, but now I see that. Yes. And the second part is what links Daenerys to the great empire of the dawn. 
um, and Ashai and the Great Empire of the Dawn. So they talk about um, ghosts lining the hallway dressed in the faded raiments of kings. In their hands were swords of pale fire. So in a Game of Thrones, swords of pale fire are Balerian steel swords. We see in Jamie's Weirwood dream that both Widow's Whale and Oathkeeper show up as swords of pale fire in his dreams. Um, but they, so they're Valyrian steel swords. So that puts these people are possibly Valyrian. Mm-hmm. Um, they have golden hair and silver hair and platinum white hair. And their eyes are opal, amethyst, tourmaline, and jade. And I want to shout out um, Durin, Durin, Durandon. Um, he, he had made this connection a few years ago and it is about the gemstone emperors mm-hmm. and the, the gemstone emperors are always talked about as opal, amethyst, tourmaline, and jade for their eyes. And Danny is also often compared to the amethyst empress. Um, Euron says she has eyes like amethyst mm-hmm. and don't know if this is foreshadowing that we're going to get a bloodstone emperor amethyst empress kind of betrayal um but basically the bloodstone emperor killed his sister the amethyst empress to take her birthright right which i mean even though it technically didn't happen the same way yeah could be said about daenerys when it comes came to viserys yes you know, it technically could be said the same. And I think when they talk about these former kings, what's interesting is it sounds like it's emphasizing that their blood and she is the inheritor of their blood. Mm-hmm. She's the inheritor of their of their power and that she has to accept that inheritance, you know, in order to keep going because that's when she started running faster and faster. And that's when the stones started melting. That's when she started to throw herself forward. The more and more she's listening to what they're saying, she starts feeling these things. And it's, you know, and it changes, you know, the quote changes from don't want to wake the dragon to wake the dragon. Yep. It's a command now. Want to wake the dragon. (laughs) Want to wake the dragon. That's what you need to do. You, you want to wake this dragon. And then it ends with her flying, wake the dragon. Yep. And it says the door loomed before her, the red door, so close, so close. The hall was a blur around her, the cold receding behind. And now the stone was gone and she flew across the Dothraki Sea, high and higher, the green rippling beneath and all that lived and breathed fled in terror from the shadow of her wings. She could smell home. She could see it. There, just beyond that door, green fields and great stone houses and arms to keep her warm there. She threw open the door, the dragon, and saw her brother Rhaegar mounted on a stallion as black as his armor. Fire glimmered red through the narrow eye slits of his helm. The last dragon, Sir Jorah's voice whispered faintly, the last, the last. Danny lifted his polished black visor. The face within was her own. That, <laughs> that, so Daenerys, re, the, the cold retreating, the closer she gets 
to that door. And then when she goes through that door, Rhaegar being the one there and her, this is not the first time that she, well, this is the first time, but it's not the only time that she has dreamed of herself being Rhaegar. She mm-hmm. does it in a storm of swords when right before she attacks Astapor, she sees herself um, as Rhaegar riding to the trident. Mm-hmm. And she sees the usurper's host and they're armored in ice. And right. she's on she's on the back of Drogon. And I think it's interesting because I wonder if him being in all black armor, I wonder if that's Valerian steel. Um, like, what Valerian steel armor? It could be Valerian steel armor because that's how Euron's is described. I believe it's all black. Um, but Rhaegar's armor was all black, but it wasn't all black because it had rubies on the breastplate. And that's yes. like the most notable thing about his armor is the rubies on the breastplate. Right. I love how, you know, when she, um, let me find the exact part. Okay. So how they said how the cold retreated. Mm-hmm. Once she embraced the dragon, once she woke the dragon and she followed the command, all of it started to recede, all of these things. And now you're seeing all the things that she thought was important to her, like the house, like you know, the house of the red door, the Dothraki sea, all these things, even the idea of Rhaegar, all of those things turned into her. And it's like, it's not them. None of it has ever been that it's never been the material. It's always been you. Yes. And I think, huh? I said, that's so powerful. It is. (laughs) It is. I, I, that's why I love Danny. Like she's just, she's that bitch like I'm sorry she is (laughs) she just is and it's (laughs) it's like a lot of people give Danny shit but like could you have survived what she has survived no (laughs) I couldn't I couldn't like really survive when I stub my toe I'm not surviving this (laughs) (laughs) right right oh thunder um (laughs) So this one quote made me think of Quaith. It says, after that, for a long time, there was only the pain and the fire within her and the whispering of stars. So the whispering of stars is very connected to Quaith because when she sees Quaith, she's like, oh, her mask was made of starlight and she was the whispering of stars. Like the communication from Quaith is always like the whispering of stars. And that has led people to believe that Quaith is Shira Seastar, mm-hmm. who would be another of Danny's bloodline. But I do feel like there is someone that is feeding her these dreams, that is telling her what she needs to do. Like they've basically shown her in this dream that she needs to sack. Like they shown her, like you saw her, she sat, she's just sacrificed your baby. If you had done it, you would have got a dragon. So now you need to sec. So she knows that only death can pay for life. That's why she tells Mary in the next chapter, like, you taught me something. I'm going to sacrifice you now. (laughs) Like, I'm going to sacrifice you now. And like the way that she sees in her dream, she sees Rago's heart like burst into flame. Um, Or she sees flame come out of his mouth and his heart burst into flame. In the house of the undying, when she gets that like fast, clip of like 
when she's like, show me, like, I don't understand. And they show her like the series of images. She sees the dragon bursting through Miri Mazdor's brows, like through her, through her eyebrows. So Miri Mazdor was definitely the sacrifice. Right. And even if you look at um, the fact in this chapter, in the earlier part of this chapter, they say her womb was on fire because her destiny wasn't to birth Rago. It was to birth the dragons. Yes. And it's just like, it is so interesting. And then when you're talking about, you know, right there, it says for a long time, there was only the pain, the fire within her and the whispering of stars. You know, and the stars are whispering to her that this is what you're going to bring. This is what you're going to create. And you have to let the rest of it go. And, and she, uh, I will get to it a little later in this chapter, but like, she's already subconsciously accepted it. Like she's already Mm -hmm. subconsciously, she knows when she wakes up that her baby's dead. She knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So it says she woke to taste of ashes. No, she moaned. No, please. Khaleesi, Cheeky hovered over her, a frightened doe. The tent was drenched in shadows, still and close. Flakes of ash drifted upward from the brazier, and Danny followed them with her eyes through the smoke hole above. Flying, she thought. I had wings. I was flying, but it was only a dream. Help me, she whispered, struggling to rise. Bring me. Her voice was raw as a wound, and she could not think what she wanted. Why did she hurt so much? It was as if her body had been torn to pieces and remade from the scraps. I want, yes, Khaleesi? Quick as that, Jiki was gone, bloating from the tent, shouting, Danny needed something, someone, what? It was important. She knew it was the only thing in the world that mattered. She rolled onto her side and got an elbow under her, biting the blanket, tangled about her legs. It was so hard to move. The world swam dizzily. I have to. They found her on the carpet, crawling toward her dragon eggs. Sir Jorah Mormont lifted her in his arms and carried her back to her sleeping silks while she struggled feebly against him. Over his shoulders, she saw her three handmaidens with a little wisp of a mustache. Jo- uh, her three handmaidens, Jogo with his little wisp of a mustache and the flat, broad face of Miri Mazdor. I must, she tried to tell them. I have to. Sleep, princess, Sir Jorah said. No, Danny said. Please, please. Yes, he covered her with silk, though she was burning. Sleep and grow strong again, Khaleesi. Come back to us. And then Miri Mazdor was there, the Meiji, tipping a cup against her lips. She tasted sour milk and something else, something thick and bitter. Warm liquid ran down her chin. Somehow she swallowed. The tent grew dimmer and sleep took her again. This time she did not dream. She floated serene and at peace on a black sea that knew no shore. After a time, a night, a day, a year, she could not say she woke again. The tent was dark, its silken walls flapping like wings. When the wind gusted outside, this time Danny did not attempt to rise. Eerie, she called. Jiki, Dorea, they were there at once. My throat is dry, she said, so dry, and they brought her water. It was warm and flat, yet Danny drank it eagerly and sent Jiki for more. Eerie dampened a soft cloth and stroked her brow. I have been sick, Danny said. The Dothraki girl nodded. How long? The cloth was soothing, but Eerie seemed so sad it frightened her. Long, she whispered. When Jiki returned with more water, Miri Mazdor came with her eyes heavy from sleep. Drink, she said, lifting Danny's head to the cup once more. 
but this time it was only wine, sweet, sweet wine. Danny drank and lay back, listening to the soft sound of her own breathing. She could feel the heaviness in her limbs as as sleep crept in to fill up her as sleep crept in to fill her up once more. Bring me, she murmured, her voice slurred and drowsy. Bring, I want to hold. Yes, the Meiji asked. What is it you wish, Khaleesi? Bring me egg, dragon's egg, please. Her lashes turned to lead and she was too weary to hold them up. Her lashes turned to lead and she was too weary to hold them up. So she's forgotten about Rago in that moment. Right, right. The first thing she asked for is for the dragon eggs. The first, her first thought were the dragon eggs. They were not her child. Yeah. At all. She was like, it's, <laughs> it's the most important thing in the world. I need to remember. I need to remember. And then she remembers it's the dragon eggs because in that dream, she has subconsciously saw that she lost her son. Right. Right. And she knows it. She feels it. She understands it. And she understands that at this point, what she needs is the dragon. Yes. And that's yes. what she reaches for. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. I didn't, I actually didn't realize that that pair, it took so long to get to that part. I was like, uh, is it going to get to this part yet? But yeah, <laughs> she, she, um, definitely like she has accepted subconsciously that her son is gone. And the most important thing in the world is the dragon. And she's going to birth dragons. Like she's, she knows it. She knows right. it subconsciously, if not consciously. Right. You know, and I feel like so many of the things that she does in this particular chapter are almost, it doesn't even seem like she's thinking about what she's doing. She seems almost like she's, she's going on autopilot because everything that she's saying, she already knows the answer to because mm-hmm. that dream showed her everything that she needed to know. She's just confirming. Yep. Yep. And like, um, it says, she says that the dragon, like she can feel the dragon moving inside of the egg. So something has charged those eggs up before she even goes to hatch them. Now, I personally believe that Daenerys has been incubating these eggs the whole time without knowing it. Um, We know that the Targaryens, they like get their dragon eggs when they're born, like ancient Targaryen lore basically says when a Targaryen is born, they're given a dragon's egg in their cradle. And like, we see one in uh, a dance with dragons. I think it's Bela or Reyna. Like we see how they carry the egg with them wherever they go. And like Daenerys has been having these eggs, like in the hot sun on the back of a cart, carting them around, putting them in brazers, coddling them. Like she's been incubating these eggs the whole time. And she mm-hmm. got her first dragon dream before she got the eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, the first wake the dragon dream. So she's been getting like little downloads. But I feel like where magic, where Mary Mazdor performed that ritual and brought her in that tent, that uh, opened some kind of gateway for them to like really download some shit into Daenerys because that was the biggest dream that she's had of the dragon like Mm -hmm. that that was intricate right and the symbolism it's it's you hate to say but even in that dream it's barely symbolism yeah it's very clear 
what's happening. <laughs> it is. It's extremely clear. It's like, okay, everything you love will turn to ash. And from that ash, you will rise as a dragon. Now wake up. Yep. <laughs> you know, this is your reality and go. <laughs> yeah. That's and what it was. Yes, it is. It is. And when she wakes up, like, she's basically like, when she like wakes up again, she's basically like, you know, um, get me some water. Like, I'm not afraid anymore. She says to herself, like, all her fear was gone and burned away. Like, and she wakes up and she's like, give me a flag and a water as cold as you can and fruit like some dates <laughs> she's basically like not even thinking about oh wasn't I pregnant <laughs> like she's not even she's not even thinking about that and um yes and, and it's, there's a there's a, the quote that she's like bring me I want to hold and you know it's funny that it's Miriam as door because Mary knows that the baby's gone mm-hmm. so she's so it almost feels very pointed that she's like yes like is it she because like I she want her knows. to say it. I want her to say exactly. it so I can so I can crush her with this. Exactly. It's like she wants she wants her to say, "Bring me my baby," so she can be like, "It ain't no baby boo." You know, she wants her to say this, and so when she goes, "Bring me the egg, the dragon's egg," you know, I'm like, Mary was face cracked. Yeah. Because she yes. thought the first thing she was gonna say was, "Bring me my baby." Hmm. Hmm. And then he, even the second thing she asked for isn't her baby. It's called Drogo. Exactly. <laughs> she does not think about this baby at all. <laughs> she doesn't. She's she, like, baby gone, it's gone. So <laughs> like subconsciously, they they took they I feel like they burned it away. Like in when she when she first had when she first has that. No, it's the second dragon dream that she has right before she has that dream. She's going through the worst time in her life. She's like, I would rather die, kill myself, than go another day on this Dothraki sea. Like she's talking about how Drogo like takes her relentlessly every night. Like she has like chafing all on her ass and all on, like from riding a horse all day. Like her hands are hurting. Like she's sore. Like she feels like she's just been through the ringer and the dragon comes in her dream and burns her with like this fire in her dream and every day after that gets better and better and better like he burned all the fear out of her and I think that when she has this dream that dragon really burned that the baby Rago her seeing that fire come from him it really I don't know helped her in the healing process because she don't think about the baby at all no no it's like afterwards she's like wait did I forget that oops you know <laughs> yeah it's so she says she says um gee I I shall bring Sir Jorah the Lysini girl said bowing her head and fleeing the tent Jiki would have run as well but Danny caught her by the wrist and held her captive what is it I must know Drogo and my child why had she not remembered the child until now my son Rago where is he I want him her handmaiden lowered her eyes. The boy, he that he did not live, Khaleesi. Her voice was a frightened whisper. Danny released her wrist. My son is dead, she thought, as Jiki left the tent. She had known somehow. She had known since she woke the first time to Jiki's tears. No, she had known before she woke. 
Her dream came back to her sudden and vivid, and she remembered the tall man with copper skin and a long silver gold braid bursting into flame. She should weep, she knew, yet her eyes were dry as ash. She had wept in her dream, and the tears had turned to steam on her cheeks. All the grief has been burned out of me, she told herself. She felt sad, and yet she could feel Rago receding from her as if he had never been. I need to have dragon dreams when I have trauma in my life. <laughs> right? I'm like, can, I, can I get a little dragon dream here? Yeah. Why do I, I have, have some to, things to burn away? Why do I have to deal with years of trauma? I want to burn it away. Give me a dragon. <laughs> Give me a dragon. I'm sure this dragon is way more affordable than my therapy bill. I'm just right. Saying. <laughs> I'm saying, ditto. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Jorah and Miri, they come back in and they find Danny and she's like standing over the dragon's eggs. Um, and basically they're talking and they call them or, or like Danny is looking at the eggs and she's like, what do you feel? And he's like, hard as a rock, cold stone. And I'm like, mm, cold stone. And that... Mm that makes me think of waking dragons from stone <laughs> right like, yeah these are stones all right they're about to be waking dragon. like she fits the azura high prophecies so like to a t i think maybe george is trolling or something because she's right really i mean because if you think about like you were just saying about how they talk about how targaryens would incubate their eggs these weren't stone eggs these were regular eggs you know? yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and she's feeling all this from a stone egg. Mm -hmm. Like this, mm -hmm. that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. And um, she's she's basically like trying to get some information out of Jora, like like what happened to her son. And then here comes Miri, um, <laughs> monstrous Miri Mazdor finished for him. The knight was a powerful man, yet Danny understood in that moment that the Meiji was stronger and cruder and infinitely more dangerous. Twisted. I drew him forth myself. He was scaled like a lizard, blind, with a stub of a tail and a small leathery wings like the wings of a bat. When I touched him, the flesh sloughed off the bone and inside he was full of grave worms and the stink of corruption. He had been dead for years. Bitch. <laughs> she took so much joy in saying that to her oh my god no she i can practically see the evil grin on her face as she's saying it like she's awful this is awful and right, i mean like, okay. you 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 don't just say um he was born he was not shaped right he it was horrible she says he was monstrous <laughs> like, right bitch. i mean and, and, and think about it if they had already buried him or gotten rid of him or burned him whatever they did why did they need to tell her that right like at all just say exactly what was said that he he was not born living yeah you don't have it. to go in, into that and i mean I don't even, they don't, they don't even really make it clear that Jorah really saw it. Right. You know, he does, I don't, so, I mean, the only one who seems to be in that room who actually saw him being deformed was Mary. Do yes. we really know if that baby was born deformed or just the baby died? We don't know. We don't. Like, no one ever sees the baby's corpse or nothing. No, they and never like, mentioned that. And 
like we do know that like Targaryen babies have been born mouth malformed like we right. have we have uh Rhaenyra's daughter Visenya was born fucked up Maegor's babies were born fucked up but this not like not like Rago no not like not Rago like- not like Rago at all like wings um blind uh when I touched him the flesh sloughed off the bone and inside he was full of grave worms and the stink of corruption like that's never said about any of the other malformed babies no and it, and you know it brings you back to that whole ceremony that she had like was that the cause the the result of the ceremony if that's even a real thing yeah because he wasn't dead for years no i i definitely think it was the cause of the ceremony like i definitely think she sacrificed her baby right she sacrificed her baby and then made up this tale that he was born monstrous or if he was born monstrous like you're saying it was a part of that ritual like that's what you did to him but (laughs) the part where it says he was full of grave worms and stink of corruption he had been dead for years that makes me think that symbolically him being dead for years means that Daenerys was always going to this was always going to happen this is something that was always meant to happen he was never meant for this world right regardless however it happened even if she was in the most healthy situation he was not built for this world he was never meant to be here and so I think that exactly I think that's exactly what they're saying was that he has been dead for years because he was never going to be he was never going to be born because the reason he was conceived was to wake dragons because I do think he is a part of that recipe because there is no sacrifice greater than the sacrifice of a child yeah. of your own child. And we see that with Stannis. Um, Stannis has not burned Shireen in the books yet, but I do think that he will. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also see it with the children of the forest when they brought down the hammers of the waters. It is said one, one tale, one version of the tale is that they fed a thousand of their own young to the weirwood tree. Right. Right. I mean, it has to be an actual sacrifice. It has to be not just someone in your community that you can sacrifice. Right. It has to be be of value to you. Exactly. And what's of more value to a community than their children because that's their future that's literally what they're fighting for their future you know and, and think of a uh, not only like rego rego is predicted to be the stallion who mounts the world like mm-hmm. not only is he valuable to daenerys like he is he fulfills a prophecy that the dothraki have been waiting for forever to be fulfilled mm-hmm. and she takes him and yes. sacrifices him extremely valuable extremely that's the sacrifice yeah but i don't even think he's the stallion that mounts the world i think it's danny i think it's either danny or like it's drogon right it's or it's danny mounting drogon because like it says the um that i want to pull that prophecy up real quick so i can (laughs) add that into this podcast one second
Uh, let me pull this quote. I said should have had this. I didn't foresee us talking about the stallion yeah. amounts in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that this conversation would go that way. <laughs> Ryan, who mounts the world? Okay. Okay. So I feel like she also, Danny also fits this prophecy. It says, as swift as the wind he rides, and behind him his calisar covers the earth. Men without number, with aurochs shining in their hands like blades of razor grass. Fierce as a storm, this prince will be. His enemies will tremble before him and their wives will weep tears of blood and rend their flesh in grief. The bells in his hair will sing his coming and the milkmen in the stone tents will fear his name. The old woman trembled and looked at Danny almost as if she were afraid. The prince is riding and he shall be the stallion who mounts the world. So we have fierce as a storm. We know Daenerys is named Stormborn. Stormborn. Um, we have as swift as the wind he rides. And we know like dragons ride the wind. We just had a whole dream sequence <laughs> where she's talking about uh, the wind and her flying and over the Dothraki Sea and all that where she's waking the dragon. But not only that, um, his enemies will tremble before him and their wives will weep tears of blood and rend their flesh in grief. The bells in his hair will sing his coming and the milkmen in the stone tents will fear his name. So the milkmen in the stone tents are white men in castles. So that's the sunset sea. That's Westeros. Right. That's the white men in castles and the bells like Danny has bells in her hair. But not only that, his calisar covers the earth men without number. So that scene in season six of Game of Thrones where Daenerys kills all the calls and takes all the Kalasars and makes them into one, I feel is from the book because in A Clash of Kings, when she is in uh, the House of the Undying, she sees the, all the crones out in front of that lake and at the Dojkaleen bowing to her. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that she is going to do that. So I think she fits that prophecy. So with him, with him dying, it was basically like you had to conceive him just to sacrifice him. He's, he was always going to die. Right. This is always how it was written. This was fate. This was destiny. Right. Which is so interesting because like the story has so many different elements where it's like the fighting of fate and destiny, mm-hmm. personal choice. Yeah. yeah. Which is, it's, it's very interesting that this is like their whole lives or what is my destiny, but what is my choice? Yes. Yes. And I feel like one of the storylines or two of the storylines that highlight that the most are Jon Snow and Daenerys. <laughs> Right. right. Jon Snow for sure. Right. Jon Snow is the embodiment of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so after Mary says, you know, he's been dead for years. Daenerys says darkness, Danny thought. The terrible darkness sweeping up behind to devour her. If she looked back, she was lost. My son was alive and strong when Sir Jorah carried me into this tent, she said. I could feel him kicking, fighting to be born. That may be it. 
That may be as it may be, answered Mary Mazur. Yet the creature that came forth from your room was, as I said, death was in that tent, Khaleesi. Only shadows, Sir Jorah Hust. But Danny could hear the doubt in his voice. I saw Meiji, I saw you, alone, dancing with the shadows. The grave cast long shadows, Iron Lord, Mary said, long and dark, and in the end, no light can hold them back. Sir Jorah, Sir Jorah had killed her son, Danny knew. He had done what he did for love and loyalty, yet he had carried her into a place no living man should go and fed her baby to the darkness. He knew it too. The gray face, the hollow eyes, the limp. The shadows have touched you too, Sir Jorah, she told him. The knight made no reply. Danny turned to the god's wife. You warned me that only death could pay for life. I thought you meant the horse. No, Mary Mazdor said. That was a lie you told yourself. You knew the price. Had she? Had she? If I look back, I am lost. The price was paid, Danny said. The horse, my child, Caro, Kotho, Hago, Kaholo. The price was paid and paid and paid. She rose from her cushions. Where's called Drogo? Show him to me, God's wife, Meiji, blood mage, whatever you are. Show me called Drogo. Show me what I bought with my son's life. So interesting part to me is that she kind of blames Sir Jorah for taking Danny into the tent. But in the same breath, saying that she gave her son's life, like she knew what the price was, like, I'm confused about that. Me too. I was thinking that I was, I was wondering, you know, if, if she had never gone into that tent, what would the sacrifice have been then? Right. Was she brought into that tent, of course, unknowingly by Jura that she shouldn't be there, but was was that part of what activated it the fact that she was brought into that tent with her baby I I kind of think so but at the same time I have this like sneaky suspicion about Mary Mazdor that Mary Mazdor knew she would have ended up in that tent all along like I feel that Mary Mazdor didn't necessarily purposely kill Drogo I feel like she gave him healing that would have healed him had he not been so toxic so full of toxic masculinity um but she basically tells him like hey you can't drink you have to say this prayer every day and he's like bitch fuck out of here he's like i'm not doing none of that (laughs) and he goes right back to drinking so like she he, he didn't follow her instructions and in this sense And it's kind of the same with Danny. Like they didn't follow her instructions. She sent her out of the tent and told her she couldn't be in the tent. And then she was brought into that. I think that, you know, of course, when she gave Cal Drogo the medication and stuff like that and told him what to do, I don't think she meant to kill him. I think though, when she brought him into that tent, she meant to kill him. Yeah. I think she knew that the horse was not enough of a sacrifice to pay for his life. And that that was a way to kill him. And mm-hmm. saying that sacrifice didn't work or the magic didn't work, but he's out of his misery. Yeah. I think that when Danny came in with that baby, though, that was that triggered the the whole process to go a slightly different way, which mm-hmm. in her Mary might have been more beneficial to yep. her. She's like, well, we got rid of two two birds, one stone. You know, I'm winning. But <laughs> I think I don't think she immediately meant to kill 
the baby. I think she meant to kill Cal Drogo. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was already he was already gonna die. I think yeah. he, was already, he was already dying. I like don't necessarily think that it's fair that you could take a child's life and then make him like the 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 life that is given to Drogo is like a vegetable. And I re- wasn't she saying strength of the horse go into the man? Yes. So maybe a horse was enough to keep him a vegetable. Maybe. Maybe because I feel feel like a baby would make him at least not a vegetable because right. because we get we get a human sacrifice that that gives us three fucking dragons. So right. so right. why do, why doesn't this this babe why does this baby give us a vegetable? <laughs> so maybe it's just the fact that the shadows of death were in that tent. And so the shadows latched onto the baby. That's what it could be. Yeah, maybe that maybe maybe technically the baby wasn't used in the sacrifice. Maybe the baby was latched onto. Yeah, and I and think it does say that the shadow of death touched Dora too. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe it would have gone for Daenerys, but the blood of the baby was more interesting yes 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 i i don't it it, that part has always threw me for a loop Mm -hmm. because i am kind of sympathetic towards mary mazdor because look her village was raided she was raped like people she's healed were killed people that she knows were killed children that she knows were killed children that she healed were killed like i don't I get that she doesn't want to help her oppressor. <laughs> like, I I feel bad for her. But right. when it goes to, like, so whatever she does to call Drogo to me is, is, is fair game. But when it goes to the innocent baby, like, bitch, you doing too much. Like, right. I feel like, I do feel like she didn't necessarily mean to do what, what happened to the baby, but I feel like it comes down to asshole territory when you're reveling in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. that's when she becomes the asshole to me. Like you can, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like you said, you read the description of everything that happened to her and the things that she saw and the things that, I mean, I get it. Like I would have been trying to kill the pal Drogo too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you would have had to go. I'd have been like, you and all your people, I'm taking all y'all dicks. You know, I right. just, I would have had an issue. But it was the, it, for me, it was the joy that she took out of realizing what happened to the baby. Yeah. And the pain that she knowingly inflicted on Daenerys to tell her when she knew, I mean, she clearly knew. I think the re- only reason she gave Cal Drogo any kind of viable medicine was because of Daenerys mm-hmm. because she saw that Daenerys wasn't like them she yeah. saw that Daenerys you know she may have come in too late to help her but she was she actually was trying to help people mm-hmm. so I think that's the only reason why she even gave any medication to you know Drogo to help him in any way but yeah. she didn't want to she only did it for Daenerys and then it was just like, like I said, she just rolled right into asshole territory and was like, that's right. Fuck your baby. Right, know, like, right. That is so messed up. Like she punted that baby into the sunlight. <laughs> yes. She, she yeeted Rago. Poor Rago. She yeeted Rago. <laughs> 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 so, 
<laughs> so Danny asked them, like, I want to see Drogo. Like, I want to see what my son's life paid for. And she finds she gets to see him. And like he's alone in the sun. And she's like, why? And they're like, you know, he likes the warmth. Um, his eyes follow the sun, though he does not see it. He can walk after a fashion. He will go where you lead him, but no further. He will eat if you put food in his mouth, drink if you dribble water on his lips. Danny kissed her sun and stars gently on the brow and stood to face Mary Mazdor. Your spells are costly, Meiji. He lives, said Mary Mazdor. You asked for life. You paid for life. This is not life for one who was as Drogo was. His life was laughter and meat roasting over a fire pit and a horse between his legs. His life was an auroch in his hand and bells ringing in his hair as he rode to meet an enemy. His life was his blood riders and me and the son I was to give him. Mary Mazdor made no reply. When will he be as he was, Danny demanded. When the sun rises in the west and sets in the east, said Mary Mazdor. When the seas go dry and mountains blow in the wind like leaves, when your womb quickens again and you bear a living child, then he will return and not before. So that, <laughs> that quote, when the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, um, or when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east. So there's a couple ways you could look at it. You could look at it as symbolism, like um, when the sun rises in the West, the sun could be Daenerys, like mm -hmm. Daenerys and her dragons could be the sun, like symbolism for the sun. When they set in the East, would leave the East and rise in the West, then someone like Drogo would return to her, but not Drogo like a Jon Snow. Um, the seas going dry could be like winter, like the seas freezing. The mm -hmm. mountains blowing in the wind like leaves could be like snow drifts. Mm -hmm. When your womb quickens again and you bear a living child, then he will return and not before. Could mean that Danny is going to bear a living child in Westeros with Jon Snow. I've always thought they were going to have a kid and it was going to be really weird and secretive and like another whole Jon Snow bastard situation but I feel like she it, I feel like it could be like some kind of symbolism like that there's also like that line um from Tyrion when he's talking to Makoro in a dance with Dra in a dance with dragons when he's like has the sun moved has the sun moved because this is not the east or this is not the west and he was like it, it was nighttime and it was the moon he was actually seeing. And it was like red and swollen. And Makoro says, it's always like that over Valyria. So it could have some Valyria symbolism and something to do with her going to Valyria. But honestly, I think it's Mary Mazdor's slick ass way of saying never. I was going to say that I was like, or, or, <laughs> hear me out. It's Mary going, never, bitch. Yes. <laughs> Like, like, you know, just hear me out. Just hear me out. Like, I think, I think she's like, you know, never bitch. I think that's what she's saying. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that that is her very slick way of saying that. I think she's like, yeah, boo, he ain't ever coming back. He's a vegetable. Deal with it. And I, I think she just, um, she's just being unnecessarily callous. I don't necessarily know if there's 
a real meaning behind it. I think that everything that she's saying to Daenerys is meant to inflict the most pain. Yeah. I don't think Daenerys is barren. I don't think any of that. I think that she's just trying to hurt her at this point. Yes, yes, she is. And I feel like that's probably the most, uh, that's the closest answer is that she's just saying, never, <laughs> when pigs fly, <laughs> when pigs fly. <laughs> exactly, she's definitely pigs flying, Danny. <laughs> yes, and she's just like, you know, yeah, nah, it's not going to happen. But I also think that she gives it to her like in a prophecy way so that even long after Daenerys has like long after this is behind her, she'll still dwell on that prophecy. And she kind of does. Right. And I also think that maybe, maybe, you know, uh, Mary knows that the dragon that mounts the world or there's something that's going to be born from Daenerys. She doesn't know necessarily it'll be dragon. She doesn't necessarily know what will come, but she knows that Daenerys will bring something. So maybe her saying it that way is a way to make Daenerys think that she will never have a living child. Because when all these things happen and then you bear a living child, all these things that are seemingly impossible to happen before her womb quickens and she has a living child. Mm -hmm. That might be a way of trying to like, like you said, make her think about, you know, this will never happen. And maybe she won't have another child that could destroy the world. Yeah. The, the, like just to fuck with her head. Like she wants to fuck with her head. And, and she she says about the dragons, she doesn't know the dragons are going to come, but she felt like something could come from her. Oh, she says it like, and this is another, like, this is why I think she did purposely kill Rago, what she says um, when they're talking by herself. Um, she tells, so Danny tells her Jorah to leave them. And she says, you knew, Danny said when they were gone. She ached inside and out, but her fury gave her strength. You knew what I was buying and you knew the price and yet you let me pay it. It was wrong of them to burn my temple, the heavy flat-nosed woman said placidly. That angered the great shepherd. This was no God's work, Danny said coldly. If I look back, I am lost. You cheated me. You murdered my child within me. The stallion who mounts the world will burn no cities now. His calisar shall trample no nations into dust. I spoke for you, she said, anguished. I saved you. Saved me? The Lazarine woman spat. Three riders had taken me, not as a man takes a woman, but from behind, as a dog takes a bitch. The fourth, uh, like, you don't like doggy style? <laughs> I was like, I was sitting there like, well. Like, that's my favorite, bitch. Anyway. <laughs> look, I, look, I'm going to tell my kid how you think you got here. All I'm saying, saying, there's some flexibility that's in in there. I'm just saying. Right? (laughs) So she says, the fourth was in me as you rode past. How then did you save me? I saw my God's house burn where I had healed good men beyond counting. My home, they burned as well. And in the streets, I saw piles of heads. I saw the head of a baker who made me, who made my bread. I saw the head of a boy I had saved from dead eye fever. Only three moons passed. I heard children crying as the riders drove them off with their whips. Tell me again what you saved. Your life. Mary Mazdor laughed cruelly. Look at your call and see what life is worth when all the rest is gone. Hmm. Oh, that is that is some cold-blooded stuff. But I get what she's saying. 
Yes. Is that when all the humanity and all the things you love are gone, what are you living for? I, I, that's why I'm like, I don't blame her for killing Khal Drogo, but Rago though. But I, and, and here's the thing though, in her defense, and I'm not defending her, but devil's advocate in her defense, if she really thought that this kid was going to be worse than Khal Drogo, Mm-hmm. You, do you feel like she may have made a decision she may not have normally wanted to do that like maybe if this kid was not prophesized to be the stallion you know, the stallion mm-hmm. she may not have, you know she may have had a different take on it but this kid was prophesized to do worse than what than what cal drogo did and to more people who did who than what cal drogo did yeah. you know to her that may have been like that whole idea of sacrificing the one for the many to her, that may have made sense because that may have saved more women from being raped, more children from being killed, more heads from, from falling, yeah. you know? And she's like, this one life can be taken and all these people and generations can be saved. I so might be willing to do that. So she thought, but she was wrong <laughs> because, right, right. because she took that life, because she took that life, three dragons were born. I mean, that's right. what and pushed Danny. That's what, that's what led Danny to have those dreams. That's what pushed Danny to, to do everything. Mm-hmm. So she trying to stop a prophecy caused another one to happen. To be fulfilled. And I think that's what, what, you know, George does so well is that, you know, everything is about free choice and free will. But when you change one thing, there are consequences that you don't always see. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't see that coming. Yeah, I don't know if anybody could have saw that coming. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't see that coming that she's about to go in the fire her damn self. Right, right. I think she knew something was going to happen there, but I don't think she thought that was going to happen. Right. And it's like, surprise, bitch. <laughs> yes. So the the next part of the chapter is really sad. Like Danny bathes Drogo. Like she tries to get him to wake up and like give him kisses and like everything. She tries to do everything to, to just wake him up, to get him to remember. She's like, remember Drogo, she, whis- she whispered. Remember our first ride together, the day that we wed. Remember the night we made Rago with the Kalasar all around us and your eyes on my face. Remember how cool and clean the water was in the womb of the world. Remember my sun and stars. Remember and come back to me. Um, so she can't because she's just had birth. Like she can't fuck him because that's what she wants to do. Like she wants to try to fuck him back to life. Um, but she like uses her hands and her mouth and her breasts. Like she tries to do everything, but he does not feel or speak or rise. And then she just realizes that um, she says, uh, when the sun rises in the West and sets in the East, she said, sadly, when the seas go dry and the mountains blow in the wind, like leaves, when my womb quickens again, and I bear a living child, then you will return my sun and stars and not before never the darkness cried, never, never, never. Inside the tent, Danny found a cushion, soft silk stuffed with feathers. She clutched it to her breast as she walked back out to Drogo, to her sun and stars. If I look back, I am lost. 
It hurt even to walk and she wanted to sleep, to sleep and not to dream. She knelt, kissed Drogo on the lips and pressed the cushion down across his face. That's how the chapter ends. So she kills Drogo because she she knows that he's never going to return how he was and she doesn't want him to live like this. And so she has given up her child's life and killed him anyway. Right. Euthanasia, you know, basically. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like a Nisa Nisa kind of moment. Right. Like when they talk about Azor High and Nisa Nisa and forging Lightbringer, like uh, Azor High kills his wife to forge Lightbringer. Daenerys has killed her husband and she will be forging air quotes a sort of a light bringer but those light bringers are dragons mm-hmm. and like the way she does it uh shout out to LML um I really agree with his theory on like the dragons being born and that Carthine legend about the moon coming too close to the sun and out forth out of it that union comes a thousand thousand dragons because Drogo is the sun and stars and Daenerys is the moon of moon of his life and they come together and out of that union outpours three dragons right I feel like well for one LML is brilliant so yeah (laughs) you know I'm like this is so scholarly wonderful um (laughs) yeah it's 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 I think that there's some merit to that I think that there's a lot of merit to that and just the fact that it is the sun and the stars and the moon of my life and, you know, all these symbols that show up in a legend that you don't even hear about until much, you know, you don't really understand. And then the combination birth the dragon. That's, yeah. oh, it's so poetic. It's so beautiful. And this is, and it's interesting because this is such a sad chapter. It really is overall a sad chapter. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's literally taking away every bit of comfort and, and, you know, that she's ever had in telling her that you have to rely on yourself. And the sad part of her having to do it herself, her having to, you know, relieve Drogo of his life, uh, you know, it tells you everything you need to know about her. Like she will never, she doesn't hurt without need. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't hurt to hurt. She does what she does in an effort to be gentle mm-hmm. she does that that was beautiful <laughs> you put that beautifully <laughs> that was poetic as fuck <laughs> um, but I was gonna say like with Danny um one of the reasons that I love her so much as a character is that she to me in a game of thrones has the most interesting story arc out of everyone in the first book most like hands down all like I know a lot of interesting stuff is going on in Westeros but Danny's storyline and I feel like that is why like uh Danny's story all her POVs were taken out of Game of Thrones and published as a novella by by theirself and George like Mm -hmm. won like a Hugo award for that for that for just her chapters because they're so rich they're so um 
like they're filled with all these dreams and all this symbolism. And I feel like it's more, it's more in, it's in every chapter of, of these fucking books, but Danny's is like a smorgasbord of it. Right. And I feel like it's such an interesting dichotomy how, you know, even from the very beginning, he was, George was setting up for both John and Daenerys to be the quote unquote special people, you know, of this, of this story, because what he did was he took them directly out of everything else. Daenerys Mm -hmm. is completely away from everyone else. She has no connection to anyone else in the book, you know, and John is likewise, you know, um, put in a situation where his whole situation may be different, but he's taught to have to rely on himself in a way that, you know, a lot of people in the books have such an interconnectedness that neither one of them has. Yeah. You know, ties are severed and they're forced to come to grips with who they really are outside how that, how that works for anyone else outside of playing a game. It's really about them having to discover who they are and how they fit in the world. And the Game of Thrones, you know, with every other character, it's really about the interconnectedness of those characters. But what's so interesting about Jon and Daenerys is that individually, I mean, once you take out, once you get to the Jon being at the wall, his story is about him. Yeah. And, And both of their stories are about impossible choices. Like John says, no matter, like, well, no matter what choice I make, I feel like I'm betraying somebody. And that's Mm -hmm. the same with Danny. Like her story is filled with impossible choices. Like neither one of these choices that she has to make looks good. She's going to be hurting someone, but she has to make a choice. And it's the same with John. Like they're always faced with these, like these choices with these heavy consequences where on both sides there's good and on both sides there's evil and they have to decide which is which is better I feel like it's like a coming of an age kind of story especially with the young characters like coming into who they are as the story progresses but in this first book of a game of thrones excuse me in this first book of a game of thrones um Danny is I'll say she's uh opposed or or what is it she's she's yeah she's opposed like when you read the last Catelyn chapter and you read the last Danny chapter the last lines in the chapter you can see that they're setting up Rob as the ice and Danny as the fire but we know that john inherits rob's title so they talk like in the last cat chapter cat talks about um that when they're when they call rob the king of the north she's like oh these words haven't been spoken these ancient words haven't been spoken i've never heard these words in years and years and years and thousands of years and then with danny's chapter which is the fire element it's like for the first time in hundreds of years, the night came alive with the music of dragons. So we're seeing these ancient powers coming back. One of ice, which is the king in the north title, the north rising up as independent, which the king in the north title, I feel like ha- is a lot more magical than what people give it credit for. Because before Torin swore his oath to Aegon I'm like I'm sure green seeing was still a thing in the north 
Yes. Like, I feel like they were a lot more connected to the old gods and it just faded over time because as like the Targaryens ruled, certain practices were outlawed, like uh, the, the right to the first night outlawed. So there right. weren't that many bastard children made to give to give to the others or to the old gods or whoever. So I, I feel like the, those powers weakened over time. Right. And the North ended up forgetting. Yes, they forgot. Forgot. And I think that for both of these families, you talk about like, you know, the, the dragons and the power failing on the Targaryen side. And you talk about the magic and the connection failing on the North side, you yeah. know, and now you have these two people who are essentially the same age going through the same type of story. And they're both reclaiming their birthright. You know, the birthright that was lost over many years. Yes, yes. It's and a I, parallel story. Yeah, and I feel like they are going to oppose each other. I don't, I feel like it's meant to look like they're going to oppose each other. Right. Right. But I do not think, because when you talk about a song, a song is basically notes that are, that are working together to make music, to make, to, to produce something like a song is like these notes moving in harmony. It's about balance. So it's about finding a balance between the two and not one dominating the other. So I feel like, yeah, I don't feel like they're going to actually oppose as much as it's set up to look like it's going to oppose. Exactly. Especially when you consider the fact that like, they're both learning the same lessons. Yes. You know, and so I don't think that after learning those lessons, they're going to go to each other and be like, hello, enemy. You know, I think that those lessons are going to come across because they're both learning to be leaders. They're both learning how to care for those other than themselves. They're both learning how to defend in their own ways. I don't think they're going to come to each other and be like, you villain, you Mm -hmm. know, I I don't see that. I think that there's going to be a sort of harmony. And then when you look at George, he's such a anti-war person. Yeah. You know, I don't see the main, the the main, you know, plot of his, his story to be, you know, love, bad, war, good, you know, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and we just read this whole chapter where obviously George is not a simplified human being where he's thinking these thoughts of, you know, um, what matters in life, what, what constitutes life, what constitutes love, what constitutes destiny, what constitutes, you know, what gives you the power to connect, what gives you the power to move forward, what you understand in your soul, as opposed to what you're told. Yeah. This whole, this chapter specifically, he goes through all of those lessons and we really think his story is going to be love, bad, war, good. Yeah. No. (laughs) It's not, it's not, but that was our chapter. And I think we killed that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to toot my own horn, but you know, toot, toot. So yeah, yeah. Toot, toot it. So. You can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will, we'll wrap this up here guys. And Arlene, I want to thank you for coming on to the Obsidian Nights podcast guys. this is Arlene's second time her first episode was lost Euron has it on the silence somewhere 
<laughs> and you know, I'm not surprised. You know, you're on. He does. He does a lot of dirty things. So, I mean, we just have to let him have that when it's fine. Yeah, he, he did it with a glass candle. <laughs> All right, guys. I will see you next week. Have a good day. Bye. <laughs>